Holy God, perfect, so far beyond our comprehension, our understanding, and yet who delights in the humble soul, the one who comes before thee and acknowledges his great need, his utter dependence. Dear Father, it is to thee that we address ourselves, the God of the universe. No false gods, no false idols, no conception of man, but the true eternal God who has created all things, who created us to worship thee, to give thee glory and honor, to give thee pleasure, dear Father. And in so doing, dear Father, we know this is right. It, it is what we were for, designed for. Even this afternoon hour, dear Father, we need to, to gather sustenance from thy word, to be strengthened from it, to fulfill the responsibilities we've been given, dear Father, by thee, the, the calling that thou hast called us with. Dear Father, it is necessary that we turn to thy word and together think upon it. Dear brother, uh, dear Father, this, uh, the one who stands here is unequal to that task. He has nothing of himself to supply the needs that are here. So it is that we look to thee the one who speaks in the hearts, the one who inspires, the one who moves not according to how men think or, or what our calculations are, and in so doing uh, leaves thy unmistakable mark, the, the, the working of the, the great eternal spirit. Dear Father, we pray now for a rich outpouring of thy spirit here in this place. We pray for it in every place that it goes out today. We pray for it in the, the rooms where single believers are that uh, do not have uh, a means or, or freedom to, to worship, whether it's through health or being physically prevented. Dear Father, be with them. Supply their needs too. We thank thee through Jesus Christ who has made all of this possible, our gracious Lord, our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Starting with verse 13. Verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. I've read up to verse 27. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The word that we heard this morning was a, uh, I think a necessary one as we look around us, as, we, as the prayer lists seem to be getting longer, as the, the, the challenges um, that are facing so many people, great trials um, mount up around us. And the word we heard this morning was one of a reminder of God's ultimate sovereignty in all of this, that he, he does and he allows and he does not owe anyone an explanation. As, as uh, Brother Phil noted, Job never, it was never explained to him why things had happened. It was only, I think, maybe later, whoever recorded that account, and in the, as the Holy Spirit moved him, penned that heavenly scene that he could understand God's greater purposes and his, even his using of Satan to glorify himself. But as we were reminded this morning, no, it is uh, uh, not for man to know and yet, God is so gracious. As we stand here in, in the, the 21st century and see all that God has done throughout the thousands of years from those early days of Job, who was probably written one of the earliest books in the Bible long before, maybe even contemporary with Abraham or before Abraham, we are so blessed because we see this whole plan of salvation now laid out and it was necessary and uh, perfect in God's plan that his son would go through suffering there was no other way that that could happen but through suffering and I think that for me is a great lesson that no matter what may come no matter what the Lord has planned for us if it's difficult if it's a hard thing our Lord walked that path first it was necessary. This 
past, uh, we've been studying in CFG the, the, uh, the epistle of 1 Peter, and it seems to be um, one of Peter's main intentions with that epistle is to encourage those believers that are under persecution, that are suffering greatly. And um, uh, I was doing the discussion or leading the discussion on chapter four, which is particularly kind of ties in a lot of those themes and it was remarked in there, and I see it in this passage here, what a change occurred in Peter. From this point, this man, Peter, who one moment said something that he didn't even realize fully how much God had inspired him to say and, and revealed to him that to identify that Christ, this is, Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that all the... the, the uh, scriptures in the past had promised of and not only that he was the son of god he he is god which is an astounding statement for a jew to make of that day and and today and then in the next moment he says something that he didn't obviously didn't fully realize too either that that was from the devil and he was he was being a mouthpiece he was being used he was going along with the devil in in saying no no, no it's what are you talking about, Christ? This way of suffering? No, no, you're the Messiah. You're the appointed one. You're the one that, that, that is uh, going to set all things right. He's going to restore this, this wicked uh, world that's full of such suffering and sin, this, our, our nation that's so oppressed, our people that are so downtrodden. You're here. Finally, now it's all going to get better. And Christ said, no, no, no. You don't understand you don't understand the will of God. You don't desire the will of God. The will of God is that I go through suffering and that I experience all of this. And he laid out exactly, he knew exactly what was going to come, who was going to do it and how it was going to be done. And it was before him continually. You want to talk about suffering, knowing that. You know, we, we don't know the future. We don't know what, what's going to come. We don't know if, if we have a disease or whatever, is it going to get worse or it's going to get better? But Christ knowing fully the cup that was before him and yet willing to go through, that is a, that's suffering all the way to that step, to that final, to that Garden of Gethsemane where he said, not your will, but my will. So I think the counterpart, or the, 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 if I could add something uh, uh, further to encourage us to this morning's meditation, would be to look to, to Christ as, as we were prompted to, as we, as we were encouraged to, to look to Christ, that, that perfect picture of, of compassion. And he could be compassion because he experienced everything. He willingly suffered all of this. He didn't have to. He was not of, of the, the seed of, of, uh, of, of Adam. He didn't um, have to take upon himself the seed of Abraham, as, as Hebrews says, but he did it willingly. This question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is the question that's really relevant for each one of us, has been since this man walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And this question, how we answer it, will determine how we suffer, how we experience all the difficulties of this life. Christ knew full well who he was. He wasn't concerned about the opinions of others. 
He only followed and did the will of his father. And yet he asked, and it was with a point. He wanted to lead. He wanted to first ask them what other people think and then get it to his disciples and, and, and um, put the question to them. You've been following me now for a while. You've seen what I've done. You've seen the things that I've said. Who do you think I am, really? My friend outside of Christ, you've heard this message, maybe from a young age, maybe colored in those figures and those pictures in in, in Sunday school about Jesus and the miracles he did, learned them all the way up. You've spent some time in the presence of this man, Jesus, in the gathering of believers here, where we gather together, and he promises to be here in a special way. That, That promise goes for you, too, as you hear this word. That presence of Jesus is here, too. Who do you say that he is? You know, the way that question is answered is not just a simple profession. It's not sufficient, I should say. Profession is important. It's important to profess publicly, to confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he is my Savior. But the real way we answer that question is whether we savor the things of God or the things of men whether we become, as a result of that, belief in Jesus, whether we become a new creature, whether we become born again. That's the real, the way that question is answered by us. Who do we say that Christ is? Do we truly acknowledge who he is and then become transformed? Or is it some sort of religious lip service and our life doesn't really change? I've been reading a bit of Tozer, too, as a... As, uh, as uh, my brother enjoys um, his books, and I found one on my parents' bookshelf again and started reading through it, and, and as he often does, that man cuts right to the heart of it. Is it the word only, or is it the word that comes with power? And that's the, the chapter I read in one of the books. That's the real test, whether, whether this word that we believe, that you see here, that we confess Jesus, yes, he is the Christ, whether that has a real effect, whether it really makes a change in us and moves us from people that are concerned about ourselves, our own set of circumstances, how much we're going to suffer and what's going to entail for me, moves us beyond that to taking up our cross and following him. That's where he, he leads in this passage here at the end of this chapter. The person that savors the things of God and not of man, he is going to be moved, he's going to be led to take up his cross, to embrace those sufferings. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Let him deny himself. It comes down to this, and that's where Tozer goes in in that and that cutting chapter about the, how the word came to you, not in word only, but in power. The real power of it is the power to put the focus off myself, take myself out of the picture, where it's no longer me sitting on the throne of my heart, me determining, making my decisions based on what, what is good for me, but me being so um, lost in the wonder of God and his will and delighting in him that he becomes now the Lord. He becomes the Lord of my life, the one that that allows me to see clearly this decision that's before me 
Which way to go? It's not a matter of comfort. It's a matter of God's will. It's a matter of pleasing my Father in heaven. That makes things a whole lot clearer, doesn't it? It's a matter of loving my brother and my sister, the, the friend, the lost individual around me that, makes, uh, that helps determine and it makes the decision for me which way it should go. Not, is this the path of least resistance? Is this one a little easier? That no longer becomes the factor in my decisions. What is a man profited? Because if you, if you make your decisions based on comfort and, and uh, progress in, in the world's eyes, uh, you can gain everything. You can have the best life uh, possible. You can, you can uh, um, live just that life that you want to you know, post and share everything and, and have other people look and admire, and in the end it will be empty. You will lose your own soul, and you will know even as you do it that you've lost your own soul, that that is not enough. Whatever you're entranced and involved with, it won't be enough. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? And I had to think of this passage here too. Even the course of centuries, as the time goes by and as we progress so much as a society compared to think about how things were in this time back then, how difficult and how challenging. As life has become easier and, and better, it's improved. We've got more technology. The, the disease is, is uh, less of an issue. Are we any further along on gaining of our own souls? of living life really the way in possession of, of the eternal gift. No, we're not any further along. We're further from, if anything, if you, could, if you could chart the whole progress of mankind, it's further away from God. Not only that, not only this reckoning of, the, of, of what we have accomplished here on this earth, but there will be an ultimate reckoning when the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father and with his angels. There will be a final judgment of everything. And then it will be determined whether we have embraced the will of God or lived for ourselves. And really... I mean, we can see fruit, we can see what lines up with the word of God, but, but it, is, it is ultimately something that is only between that individual and God on that, on that day when we are in his presence that it will be known um, what the reward will be, that he shall reward every man individually, each one according to his works. It's sobering. It's encouraging, I think, also, too, to know that, that Christ has provided everything, that this way that he leads us is the way that he's walked, the way that he enables us, gives us the grace and the strength to walk with him. I love this man, Peter. Um, it's been said by others, and, and I, I really appreciate the, the account that's given in the Gospels of him just what, what an individual he was. And all the best, um, all the people that I love the most, they're the ones that let God shine through them the most. I love Peter because of the transformation, the, 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 the contrast and yet the continuity, the, 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 the picture of a, an individual who was self-willed, who thought he understood, who thought he knew what, what, what everything was, who was the first to speak, who maybe initially he wanted to be the leader, he wanted to be him and the other disciples. There were disputes about that. Who was going to be the, the first one? 
But God took him from that as he followed Jesus day by day, as as the years, those few short years passed, took him and then led him through that crisis of the crucifixion and and the denial where everything just, all of what he thought he was gonna be, just poof, dissolved as he denied the Lord in, in, in crass and vulgar terms. It took him from that to being the disciple, the one that unlocked the door, the first one who preached that sermon in Acts that opened the door for the Jews, that opened the door for the Gentiles, that, that fed the sheep and the lambs, that followed his Lord all the way to being hung upside down on a cross, as, as tradition has it. I love that picture. That's, um, that gives me hope. I think that should give each one of us hope that God takes us imperfect, cracked vessels as we are. He doesn't just um, erase us, make a, 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 a totally different person, but he takes us and he transforms us and he makes a new creature. And my friend outside of Christ, don't settle for anything less. Don't follow the path of, of, of what you think salvation is, of seeking the Lord to a point where you're thinking, okay, it's good enough now. Don't be satisfied with anything less than complete transformation. Like Peter, like all of these men that we read about in, in, in the Gospels. Because that, that new creature is the one that will then be able to embrace all of what life brings, its challenges, its ups and its downs, with joy. And, and my brother and my sister, if that new life is, is flickering, if, it, if it's having its, its struggles, and I know we all go through our struggles, our times of, of, uh, of distance from the Lord, where it seems to be we're more involved and interested in our own will than in God's will, let him call you back to this cross, this, this way of, of, that seems to be such a way of sorrow and of suffering, but is really one of joy, of, of, of complete oneness with Jesus Christ. It's a glorious gospel that we have been entrusted with, that this man, Peter, and his fellow disciples were entrusted with, and it was one that, that they were given great responsibility in, as, as Jesus says here. They were given great responsibility, and by the Lord's grace, they did fulfill it. You know, the same thing is for us here now today. We've been given a great responsibility. We have been given a a call to respond in our sufferings, in our difficulties, in a way that shines that light of Jesus Christ to a watching world around us. May the Lord bless his word. May he encourage us in the difficult days that are ahead. May he encourage us to reach out to others that need encouragement in this time of sufferings. It's not easy. It seems to be when we go through difficult times, there's that initial I know in my life, when there have been difficult times, there's that initial dip when you think things are going worse. My spiritual life is actually worse than this. It's, it's difficult. How is this God's plan? And then through that, the Lord moves us along as we open our eyes to Jesus. As we see, he walked this way before us. He went and he saw clearly as he went what was before him. May he give us that grace in the name of Jesus. Go to brother. Two scriptures to close. James says at the end of his letter, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy.
you know, the, the, if you read all the way through the story, you do see that the end of Job was more blessed than the beginning. And God had his purposes and all that. The purposes that we are still experiencing today as we read that account of, of the testing of his faithful servant. And he still has that purpose today for you too. And part of bearing your cross here and now is waiting. Being patient as Job did. He was not foolish. He didn't charge God. He waited even though he had those questions, those burning questions. God answered him in the time and it was enough for him. He was... He was he was satisfied, his soul was satisfied with his Lord and his God. But that means some patience and some waiting. The other, other scripture here, just a reinforcement of that, Psalm 27, the end. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. With that, let's conclude this service and commend each other to the grace of God till we meet again.